Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and at the Churchology Podcast, every week we have conversations about the church, things happening in and out of the church. We talk healthy leadership, we talk theology, we talk culture, and more. If it's happening around the church, we are going to talk about it right here. And on our first episode, we've got an interview with Carl Vaders. Now, Carl is a champion for the small mid-sized church. He blogs at Pivot for Christianity Today. He's the author of several books, and Carl has so many great things that he's going to say in this interview. Trust me, when when this interview is over, if you're not familiar with Carl, you're going to want to follow him on social media. You're going to want to read his books and, and just take in all of the content that he's put out for us. All of the links to his books, where you can connect with him on social media, his blog, it's all in the show notes, so make sure you check it out. But without further ado, let's get to our first interview for the Churchology Podcast, an interview with Carl Vaders. All right, we are here today with our guest, Carl Vaders. Carl, thanks for coming on today. Hey, good to be with you. So, Carl, you are uh, out in California. We were talking a little bit before we started to record um, and I don't know when our listeners might be listening to this. We are uh, in the middle um, of COVID-19 and everything going on with that. And you said that you got a couple of weekends where you could uh, open up, have in-person services, and that was shut down um, again. Just give me a little sense of how were you in that service? What did that service feel like having church in the middle of a pandemic? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, let me go all the way back. When we first shut down, we had not been doing online services because we hadn't been able to do it well. Uh, and I'd rather not do it at all than do it poorly. Mm-hmm. And then from one Sunday to the next, we had to do online services or do nothing. And our team pulled together an amazing online service. So I remember that first Sunday with online service, just sitting at home and watching, you know, watching it on the uh, online and because we, we couldn't even do it live. We had to do it a, a YouTube premiere and just being so blessed by it and thinking, well, this isn't so bad. And then about three weeks in going, I am so sick of staring at a screen on Sunday morning hmm. instead of being with people. Uh, and, and then a few weeks ago when we were actually able to do uh, a partially live where we actually, we, we did a, we did a test run where we actually, the, the, the leadership team was in the sanctuary and so we did it live to everybody else at home rather than inviting everybody in yet, we were still working it out. And I remember it had been at that point, almost three months since we'd actually been in the room together and actually sang and worshiped together, even with masks on. Uh, and I remember being overwhelmed mm-hmm. with emotion as we began to sing together, just a half a dozen of us in the room, 20 feet apart from each other with masks on, but mm-hmm. still, being able to actually sing with other believers in the same room after not having done so for three months, I could barely get through the songs. I was so overwhelmed with, with joy and with emotion of the whole thing. And then two weeks ago when we were able to actually be physically together and here in California, it's a hybrid. We can do it outside and inside. So we gave people that option. And it was so great to see everybody, even though you had to do the fake long distance hug from 20 feet away. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so that was really, again, another wonderful emotion of being able to physically be in the room with everybody. And then this week to hear, no, it's all shut down and you can't do the in-person service again. 
the emotions uh, of up and down is is really really getting to wear on everybody and it's a special challenge now for pastors to walk their congregations through all of that while walking all through all through all of that ourselves so th this is as challenging a time in ministry as i've ever seen in my 40 plus years of pastoring yeah and you you're you have always had a focus uh it seems on small churches medium-sized churches uh that sort of thing and I know that you've talked to leaders uh, in this season. What are, what are some of the things that leaders in those kinds of churches are saying to you right now? Um, the biggest thing I'm hearing from, uh, well, the in initially it was, how are we going to take the hit if, of people not coming here? How are we going to get online? Uh, for smaller churches, that was the, the challenge like it was with ours. And then it was, are we going to be able to make it through financially? Will people continue to give? Uh, so those were the first two initial hits that we had to get past. Now, the big conversation that is overwhelming every other conversation is, why is everybody so mad at each other, uh, including within my own uh, congregation? I, I didn't expect that this would cause such divisiveness. And it's not just a disagreement, it's real anger. And, uh, and, and those, those sides seem to be getting more and more extreme. And even a, a simple request like, hey, whatever our political ideas are, we should, you know, whatever unites us as the body of Christ should be closer than that. Even a simple statement like that in some places gets met with angry responses. Hmm. Like you can't be a Christian if you hold that other view. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that, that to me is, um, you, you cannot you know, overstate obviously the tragedy of those who have become sick or those who have actually passed away from this. But second to that, and longer term than that, I think the great tragedy of this is going to be the division in the body of Christ that this seems to be uh, bringing about. That's that to me is the heartbreak of this. Yeah, and is that is that true for leaders, no matter where they are? You're in California. I'm in Kentucky. It's the exact it's the exact same thing where I'm at as well. Would you say yeah. that's that seems to be across the board? Yeah, it is. You know, so there you are in Kentucky, which is predominantly a red state, and mine, which is overwhelmingly a blue state. Yeah. Uh, so here, it's the it's either agreement with or pushback against uh, the the uh, left leaning principles of our state government, and where you are, it's either agreement with or pushback against the right leaning principles of your state government. But and and in in my area, it's going to be you know three quarters on one side and one quarter on the other, and you it's going to be three quarters on the other side and one quarter on the other, if not ninety ten. But the but the severity of the disagreement is as angry and as deep in both places. Yeah, yeah. And so, what are you saying to leaders right now about? how to navigate this. So let's come at it from a couple of different angles. You said one, uh, just leaders themselves navigating it, their own mental health, emotional health. How, what kind of advice are you giving to these leaders to navigate this season? Yeah, the, fir the first thing is um, now more than ever, it's important to stick with the mission that Jesus gave us. Hmm. Um, for all of my ministry, I, I noticed this about eight, nine, 10 years ago that there always seems to be some important issue that catches the cultural imagination that then seeks to divert us from the primacy of the mission. Yeah. Yep. So there's always, a, there's always a cultural battle going on. 
And uh, right now the cultural battle uh, is, is on multiple fronts. It started with the, the shutdown and then it turned to the, to the, to the racial issues and then it turned to the protests in the street over the racial issues. And, um, and, and so we got multiple things now and it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see uh, Christians who agree on the most important things divide because of other things that are that while important are less important than the primary mission yeah so my first advice to pastors is now more than ever do not allow the headlines of the day to to divert you from the primary mission which is the great commandment and the great commission uh, love god love others make disciples uh, stick with that for your congregation too many pastors are burning too much of their time and losing too much of their reputation by screaming at others on social media. Hmm. And uh, in fact, I even highlighted this on Twitter today. Uh, somebody on Twitter who's not a pastor said, uh, talking to their Twitter followers said, before you go to a church, find out if the pastor's on Twitter. And if they are, take a look at their feed, because that will tell you an awful lot about whether or not you want to go to that church. Yeah, and they the, are right. That's it. That is right. Yeah, absolutely. they are absolutely right. And immediately, I had to in my mind. I went, "What's my Twitter feed look like?" And I, I went through. <laughs> it, I went, oh, okay. That's, that's that's what I want to be putting out there. Uh, <laughs> and then I look at other pastors, and I go, "If I did see that Twitter feed before I went to their church, I would not want to go to their church." And sometimes yeah. it's a friend that I've known in person, but their online persona is. Who is this person? Wow. You sit yeah. down and you have a face-to-face -face conversation and they are kind and gentle and reasonable and willing to listen to logic and willing to listen to people who disagree with them and do so agreeably. And then they get online and they're a, a, a completely different person. So yeah. we've really got to guard that as, as pastors and then guard our church uh, into a place of, of unity on the essentials, even if we have some disagreement on other things that are important but are non-essential. Yeah, yeah. And so, so keeping with the main thing, the the great commandment, great commission. Uh, is there anything else? Anything else that you would that you'd say to pastors that that this could help keep you in the long game of ministry? Um, I mean, nobody knows how long COVID's going to last, and and then even on the other side of it, what that could look like. Is is there anything else you'd add? Yeah, uh, I, I've actually, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, pastors, especially small church pastors in the last three, almost four months now over this. And I started noticing a pattern early on and it has, with a couple minor tweaks, it has stayed the same. There are three key areas that I've seen that if churches aren't doing this, these are the churches that are, have either lost their congregation or have really found struggle or even are, are, are seeing a split. And on the other side, the ones that are doing this well are not just surviving, but thriving and being a real blessing in their community. So let me walk you through the three because yeah, they're big. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, and they're not in order of importance. They're just in the order that I'm going to say them off the top of my head. Um, first one is uh, having uh, resources uh, in reserve, uh, starting with finances, but also other things. Um, I, I, it's been 15 years ago that I realized we, we, we as a church, even though we were getting healthier, we're still living week to week financially. And mm -hmm. I decided then that I was gonna put into the budget a small amount of money every month that we were gonna put into a reserve account until we got to the point where we had three months of budget sitting in cash reserves. Okay. It took me a decade to do so. Wow, okay. A decade. 
there were there were times when we were just about there and then a water heater broke so we had to dip into it and then something else happened but even before we got it what i realized was when the water heater broke or when the roof started leaking we were then able to dip into the partial reserve rather than have it in addition to offerings but never having to wonder are we going to have to take out a loan because between the offerings and the reserve we were always able to meet it and so we went into this with three months of reserve in the bank so there wasn't the panic in our congregation that there were in other congregations i know of some congregations that were, went under within two weeks after shutting down because they were so week to week being so overloaded with mortgage and other debt that they couldn't survive two weeks without full offerings that's how that's how you know to week to week some churches are yeah. and we 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 didn't have that is it been a challenge yeah has it been a slightly lower offering than usual yeah but we've never we've been able to move ahead on mission rather than worrying about finances because we had put that money away and putting money away is not lack of faith it's good stewardship so yeah. <laughs> right yeah. so and it has proven to be so during this so that's the first one having resources uh, uh, set aside secondly um, team-based leadership. Uh, again, about a decade or so ago, I realized I, as the pastor, was taking too much on. I, I, I actually started using the phrase, I'm tired of the Carl Vader show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah. that it, it had turned into that. Inadvertently, uh, I had said, well, I can preach better than they can, so I'll just preach. I can, I can, wow. I, you know, I know what's doing that. Let me just do it for you. And I was like, no, I've got to train people to do this, even if for a while they don't do it all that well, so that I'm building a team around me. And so now that this has happened, what I've noticed is churches that are still entirely pastor-based, where every single thing has to flow through the pastor or even be done by the pastor, they are having a harder time in this because mm. those pastors have already been running at 90 to 100%, and now they're being asked to run at 110 to 120%, and they can't do it. Right. So if you don't if you don't have team based leadership, there's too much on the pastor. Secondly, during this season, even people who haven't volunteered before are beginning to step up and say, how can I help? Because the need is so great and so obvious right now. And yeah. churches with team based leadership have a team to put these volunteers on churches without team based leadership that are all run by the pastor. I've had pastors tell me I got people volunteering and I don't know where to put them. Hmm. I don't know no. what to give them because they don't have a structure in place. I got you to put these volunteers in. So resources, team-based leadership, and then thirdly, adaptability. You have to know how to adapt on the run to things. Um, you know, a lot of churches that I'm stuck in a particular mode where it has to be, you know, it has to be these songs or it has to be at this time on, on, on Sunday or it has to be whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're in a, they're locked down into church must be these external things. They are having a harder time adapting when they're required to now by law. I got you. But, uh, and, and they're looking to go back to, once this is over, you got a whole bunch of churches going, I can't wait until we are back in our room at this time, in this way, doing exactly what we did before. Well, folks, that is never happening again. This has changed mm -hmm. so much. You will never have church the way you had it ever, ever again, not in your lifetime. Wow. Yeah. There will be, there's so many changes now. So if you are able to adapt on the secondary issues, because you've got such a firm grasp on the primary issues, then you'll do better. So those are the three key things. And the reason I'm putting them out now, even though for some churches it's like, well, it's too late. It would have been nice to know that before this. <laughs> <laughs> Still work on it because here's a key. This will happen again. 
Yes. I don't necessarily mean a worldwide pandemic. Let's hope to God that never happens again. But an emergency will happen again. You will have a, a, a tornado or a hurricane or a flood or your, or your church will be buried in snow or some emergency will hit you, your church, your community again. That's the broken, fallen world that we live in. Bad stuff happens. So if you have those three things in place, the next time something bad happens, not if, but when it happens, if you have resources on hand, if you have team-based leadership, and if you are able to adapt quickly to changing circumstances, your church then won't just survive and won't even just thrive, but you'll be the place that people in your community will look to for answers during difficult seasons because you're not running around uh, like Chicken Little with the sky is falling. You're able to handle it because of those three key things. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's that's a good word. What? Uh, so let me ask one more question just in this kind of area uh and then we'll we'll move on to another another topic you you dropped a lot that that i that i'd love to ask you about we'll chase that in yeah, that. i know i know there was a lot in that <laughs> <laughs> but um uh what would you say to the church leader that comes to you and they were and they were to say carl i i'm i'm trying to do a lot of those three things and and the church seems to be doing well the church seems to be together but i i am i am just tired uh, emotionally. I, I am burned out. The church seems to be fine. I, we're going to be okay. But, but man, I don't know if I'm going to be. What would you say to the church leader uh, that's in that space right now? Yeah, and there are a lot of us like that. Yep. Um, one, I feel you. Hmm. Uh, I am too. Uh, I, I, I put on my COVID-19 <laughs> I, 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 I'm catching what you're throwing. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was losing weight. I was going to walk across Grand Canyon in October and that just got canceled. And it's a good thing because I've been heading the wrong direction in my training. on mm. uh, So I, I feel that um, he, my, the, the three words that keep coming to me about that every time it's brought up to me is this uh, trauma demands rest. Wow, that's good. Uh, that is a, 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 sim a simply the way we are made physiologically. Trauma demands rest. So when someone has gone through a trauma, a car accident or the death of a loved one or some kind of severe trauma, as soon as the initial um, trauma is over, which brings a massive rush of adrenaline and other things, the crash that follows with the loss of adrenaline is massive. And as pastors, we know that we face it every Sunday afternoon. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, this, it's this high energy faced by this severe drop. The Sunday afternoon nap is the best time of my week. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, second best because Sunday mornings are pretty good. Yeah. Um, but there's that drop. So we are in the middle of not just a trauma, but multiple traumas folded upon one another in a completely random sequence that nobody saw coming. So we are multiple levels of trauma over multiple circumstances. And those things, uh, and, and then we go on high energy adrenaline to address them when they first happen, and then there will be a crash. We need to not fight the crash, but acknowledge it and do what we need to do to regain our energy in that crash. Yeah. And trauma demands rest. So first of all, I mean, actual physical rest. I have had days over the last three months, not many of them, but two or three days over the last three months where I have had two naps during the day. Yeah. Okay. I've literally had days where I wake up, have breakfast, 
take a nap, wake up, have lunch, take a nap, wake up, have dinner, watch or re watch TV or read for a couple hours, then go to sleep. And that's been my day. That's it. Right? And, and, and I, the next day I go, well, that was a wasted day. And I have to realize that wasn't a wasted day. If, if, if me, for me as a high energy achiever, yeah. if my body is capable of doing that on a day, then it's because it required it to do that on a day. Now, obviously, if you're bivocational or whatever, there's a lot of us who can't do that. I understand that. But that just is a picture of the kind of uh, uh, rest that this kind of trauma demands of us. So find the air. It, it's kind of like uh, they tell um, moms of newborn babies, when the baby sleeps, you sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So right now, that's where we are. When you can rest, rest. Mm -hmm. Don't look at rest as, uh, as an escape or as a failure or as a loss. Um, oh, here's one. I, a while ago, I wish I could find it because I keep referring to it. And one of these days I'll find it so I can reference it. But I believe it was a conversation on a podcast with LeBron James's trainer. And the guy asked him, how do you, have you ever played basketball yourself? No. Then how do you train LeBron James to play basketball? He says, I don't train LeBron James to play basketball. Once, once LeBron is on the court, nobody needs to help him. He's LeBron James. I just leave him alone. He says, well, the, as a trainer, what do you do? He says, my entire job is to manage his recovery time. Hmm. Okay. I am not here to help him with performance. I am here to help him with recovery. I am the one who forces him to rest, forces him to eat well, forces him to mentally and emotionally recover from all of the thing, all of the demands that are on him. My entire, he pays me to help him recover. Yeah. Okay. And yet as pastors, we often see recovery as a, somehow a sin or a weakness or a problem or a failure. And it's none of those things. Jesus was constantly making his disciples angry <laughs> yeah. by going away and resting and they wanted to do stuff. And he's like, no, this is, this is more important right now. Time with the father alone, a nap in the back of the, of the boat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? That, yeah. That's what Jesus did. So we are following Jesus when we do that. So yeah, that, that's my primary thing for pastors. Find ways to rest. Trauma demands it and your body needs it to prepare for the journey. It's not a departure from being effective. It is a part of being effective. Yeah. Wow. That's, man, that's a powerful principle. Just trauma demands rest. That's, that's strong. Yeah. That's strong. What would you say uh, to go back to the three things that you talked about earlier, uh, specifically, uh, just thinking about team leadership, where would you tell somebody to get started? Look for some, look for people in the church that are willing to help. Would you, uh, you know, look for somebody that's got a really strong devotional life, you know, that sort of thing. Somebody, Hey Carl, I, I love that concept. How do I, how do I get started on that? Yeah. Huge question because the answer to that is as always easier said than done. Yeah. Um, so I am not going to pretend that it's, well, just find somebody. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> is there a step before that? Because, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and as a small church pastor myself, I've been through that. I went through year after year after year. There's got to be somebody who's going to help out here. I, you know, I didn't do it myself because I wanted to. I did it myself because there was literally nobody else who could. Yes. Uh, so I, I know exactly what that is, what that is like. Uh, but th the first step is to start with one and continue if you start with one person and you, you try to invest in them and it goes nowhere, then you've got to have the patience to say, well, then I'm going to find somebody else who I can invest in. And you don't want to invest in people because of their title or because of their longevity. 
uh, and not even necessarily because of their spiritual maturity. Uh, you may find a baby Christian who isn't spiritually mature yet, but who is passionate and who is available and who is teachable. That's really good. So, yeah, those three things. Pa passion, availability, and teachability are the three primary character traits you want to look for. Now, if in addition to that, you've got spiritual maturity, awesome. If in addition to that, you've got long-term wisdom, awesome. But those are bonuses yes. uh, yeah. to, to, to the first three. So you want to find those three and it will, and you've got to have the patience to continue to, 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 you know, explore and find different people. Look around for those folks in your life. Um, for me, I'm, I'm near, uh, I'm in a heavily populated area. So I've got a lot of people to draw from. Um, but in both of my pastorates, I went to a local Bible college and said, we are a small church of old people, but we are willing to listen to new ideas and to give you opportunities to, to not just minister, but to actually lead. We don't just want you to help us. We want to hear your ideas and we want to give you a place where you can experiment with those ideas in ministry. And by creating an environment that allowed them not just to help, but to lead and to make mistakes, we became a place that had a reputation for, hey, here's where the inexperienced but passionate uh, young believer can come and can experiment and, and, and mistakes aren't fatal. So yeah. some of it is a, is, a, is a mindset shift where you have to say, um, where you have to create an environment that um, potential leaders want to show up to. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the step before find find a potential leader is to start creating an environment that potential leaders want to show up to. Yeah. Um, and, and and all of this takes time in a smaller church, especially if it's in a smaller established church, and especially if it's a smaller established church where the average age is high, uh, you know, and it's filled with long-term believers who just simply are low energy. They've done their work. They should be able to rest right now. <laughs> yeah. This is this yeah. is not a put down of a church filled with seniors at all. Absolutely. We, we all know that we need an infusion of energy and it's hard to get so when you've got a church full of seniors. I've had two churches in my ministry that I came to that were only seniors and that I had to infuse with energy of youth. And let me tell you, first of all, it does not happen quickly. It does not happen overnight. And it does not happen without a significant amount of pain. But if you don't keep at it, you won't get there. And the first thing is to, to work with them to help create that environment where mistakes aren't fatal and where young leaders are welcomed to, uh, to lead in the way God is calling them to lead. It's good. It's good. You said investing in them. So is investing in them, does that you know, look like texting them? You're, you're checking on them over and over. Maybe you're, are you, you know, you're, are you, doing any kind of devotional, you know, your, with their spiritual growth, what does that investing in them look like? Maybe uh, in an example in your past. Yeah. Well, let me give you the best example I've got. When I first came to this church, I've been here almost 28 years now. Okay. Uh, when I came, they'd been through five pastors in 10 years. Um, when I came, they had, uh, they had almost voted to close the church and thought, let's give it one more try. Uh, on a big Sunday, there were 30 people on an average Sunday, there were a dozen people, mm -hmm. all seniors. But there was one kid in the youth group, he's, uh, one kid, uh, he was 20, and a year and a half before I came, the church had had a, a church split over, of all things, worship music. I don't know if you've ever heard of other churches <laughs> having that problem. <laughs> I'm, yeah. sure we're, I'm sure we're unique in that. Um, 
And uh, when they had that split and the youth pastor along with the music minister left, um, he was a, uh, just a kid in the youth group who said, well, let's, let's at least get together as youth and pray for the church as it's collapsing beneath our feet. And when I came a little over a year later, um, he was just kind of having a separate youth night and none of the youth attended on Sunday. Mm. He was the only one who did. But I saw he was my only guy. He was the only one that had the enthusiasm, the passion, and was ignorant enough not to know how bad the church was, um, which, which at that point was a blessing. Yeah. So I said, he's the only one I've got, so I'm going to sit down with him. So once a week we sat down. He was so young. I had coffee. He had chocolate milk. Okay. <laughs> That's literally true. Yeah, man. Uh, and every week I'd sit down and we'd just talk. We'd pray. We'd think through. If he made a mistake, I'd say, don't do that again. And uh, I, I quickly learned that while he was making a lot of mistakes, uh, he never made the same one twice, which means he's teachable. That's what I want to know. Um, and I continued to invest in him and continued to invest in him. Uh, long story, very short, two and a half years ago, we traded places and he became my pastor and I became his assistant pastor. Oh my goodness. How cool. Wow. Yeah. So we've been working together for the entire 27 years. Wow. That is um, yeah, and as this ministry grew and I was starting to hand more and more things off to him and he was feeling more and more called to lead, we realized, hey, I get to stay on as, the, as a, a, on the pastoral staff here. I get to continue to, to, to preach and to do counseling and to be a part of the pastoral staff, and he's going to step up and take the primary responsibility. Uh, but over the years, the two of us have seen all kinds of hits and misses in trying to bring others along in the same way. Yeah. So what, what, what I did was I... One, I invested time with him, as much time as he was willing to give me and as I was able to give. Two, I, I trained and discipled him in a way that fit his learning style. I learned, I'm a book guy. I, 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 I read tons of books. I've written four of them now. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, my, my, my cousin the other day was joking about some, something we all had to learn. He says, well, Carl's going to buy a bunch of books on it. Uh, my <laughs> friends just know that's how I learn I buy I read books I learned really early on after giving him a couple books he was not a book learner that's just not his style so as a book learner I could have looked at the go well learners uh, leaders are readers and I learned no it's not leaders or readers it's leaders or learners that's good that's good and he's not a reader he just isn't but nope. he's a learner so I had to figure out other ways to teach him and for him it was making mistakes on the job he was on the job training learner that's how he learns mm -hmm. so i had to adapt my teaching style to match his learning style and one of the wonderful advantages of a small church is that we can we can do that more personal in a more personalized way yeah. once the crowd gets bigger then you have to pull in a curriculum and you have to bring everybody in under a common uh, teaching and learning style because of the size of the group mm -hmm. but in a smaller group if you're doing it one-on-one -on -one or, or in a small group of two or three, you can adapt the, your teaching style to their learning style. So it, it has to be, so it has to do that. And thirdly, it has to be relational. That's what mentoring is all about. Too often we think we're discipling people, but we're really just getting them done with classes. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and the key difference between classes and mentoring is relationship. So if you are not developing and growing a relationship with the person that you're discipling, then you are not mentoring them, you're not discipling them, you're just teaching them. And teaching has value, but let's not call it something that it's not. Yeah. So those would be my key things for, for how to start thinking through where would I go with somebody with this. That's good, yeah. 
You know, one of the things that you said earlier is that church is never going to be the same. Uh, on the other side of this, here we are right now with everything uh, happening. Carl, do you think that right now might actually be an opportunity for the church to move forward in a, in a stronger way, in a better way? Um, do you think that's true? And, and, if, and if so, what do, you, what do you think are some of the opportunities that we have in front of us right now? Yeah, I, I think unquestionably so. I'm, I'm always cautious about, and this is not how you phrased it, but I'm always cautious about things like we see a disaster and we go, this disaster is an opportunity for the church. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I, and I, I know that's not how you're phrasing it, but yeah. I always, I always want to qualify any statement in regard to it with this, like we're somehow trying to come in at, like, like, a, um, to, you know, take advantage of a bad situation. I mean, and, and absolutely. You know, that's not what it is, but yes. Um, we, um, for, for, for at least a generation now, almost all of the primary teaching that has come from church leadership circles has been about how to, um, how to bring a necessary change to static and dying churches. That has been almost a hundred percent of the, uh, of the teaching. And it's been because we have been for a couple generations now in the, especially in North America, in the most stable time and most stable place in human history. I mean, uh, you, you can look back and see problems. I mean, massive things like 9-11 and so on, but, uh, and these were huge disasters, but nevertheless, there was a, there was an undergirding unity and, and um, prosperity uh, beneath it that has given us a sense of stability that is that is really unprecedented in human history. It's hard for us to recognize it when, they're, when we're in the middle of it, but if you compare it to any other place or any other time in history, the, the, the prosperity and the stability that we have experienced for most of my lifetime has been unprecedented in human history. Yeah. So uh, we, ha we have to build on that. And I, the, a quarantine brain just hit me. I, I started that and I can't remember what question I'm answering now. Oh, you're fine, <laughs> you're question? fine. Where am I heading with this? Yeah. We were just talking about uh, picking up on earlier when you said that church just will not be the same. You know, what, what do you think Change. the future of the small, medium church yeah. might be, you know, and what can yeah. we learn right now? That's yeah. so. So, yeah. So we've had this generation of trying to convince churches that refuse to change that they need to change in order to stay alive. That's yeah. where that was going. Okay. Now, if, if, if right now they cannot understand that we need to change and adapt, then they never will. Absolutely. So yeah. This has made the necessity of methodological changes as obvious as it will ever be in our lifetime. So we need to look at that as pastors and go, okay, we are not just going to adapt for the short term. We are going to leverage the short term term adaptation into long term necessary innovative changes. Okay. Um, one of the primary ways from most of the churches that I work with is this, and I'm, I'm writing a blog post on it, probably come up next week or the week after sometime soon. If you have had to drop a ministry because you're not able to do it during this season and nobody misses it, maybe don't pick it up again after you're done. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we are, we're, we're dying to get everything back in place the way it was, but in, in most smaller churches, especially 
in smaller towns where maybe you've got a big building because the church used to be the center of town and now you've got just a handful of people in a larger building and you're trying to do all the ministries you used to do and you haven't been able to convince anybody that these out-of-date ministries need to stop because they're burning time and energy that would be better expended elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, if you haven't been able to do them because of quarantine, don't be in a rush to start them back up again when you start back up again. This may be the opportunity you need to say goodbye to a ministry that used to be of value and that some people still love, but is really not the best expenditure of your time, your energy, and your resources right now. Yeah. So that that's that would be the main thing. Don't don't be in a rush to get back to business as usual. Take a look around and see how can we be, be better than this moving forward. What have we what have we lost that we absolutely need? Like like I said earlier, you know that that singing on Sunday morning and the importance of God's people worshiping together through song has been reinforced to me as an absolutely essential part of our faith that I now realize was even more important than I thought it was before. And I always knew it was important. So that has been reinforced as a central value, but other things, you know, that we've, that we've left, we're looking at it and going, we're really not missing it. So (laughs) let's not go back to it. Yeah. So that that might be the first place for a lot of small church pastors to start thinking about, is this an opportunity for us to stop expending valuable energy into areas that really aren't valuable for us anymore? Yeah. Okay. Another thing, uh, and I know, Carl, you wrote a, uh, you had a blog post, I believe it was in October of last year, and uh, you, you were talking about how getting more people in the room is dead. And uh, that title almost sounds prophetic because there was literally no, a right. lot of 2020 where uh, there was li- no one in the room. And um, in, in church world where, where that, that is, that is almost the metric, um, you know, how many people do you have? How many are you running? Um, what, is there anything that we should be taking out of this season? Uh, maybe in terms of how much we've lifted up, you know, that metric, maybe we, uh, looking at healthier metrics, is, is there anything that we can glean from this when it comes to yeah. that? That that is the standard of success. Your Sunday number. Yeah, I, I, when I write something, I, I, I use a Twitter tool that helps me to you know pre-post little clips from that for the next you know several months, so I don't have to sit down every day and, and tweet things. So a couple times that article has come up on my own Twitter feed from myself and went. And I, every time I caught it, like, oh, I wrote that like months before this thing happened. It was one of those strange yeah. little things. Getting more people in the room is dead. Um, uh, but what's replacing it, uh, instead of more people in the room, what, what needs to replace it is not how many people do we have in the room, but how effective is our church at, at obeying the commands of Jesus for the church. So it's for how many people has to be replaced by how effective are we? Um, uh, or effectiveness, uh, how did I phrase it in there? Effectiveness is the new, so I can't remember how I phrased it. Um, but, but, that, but that's gotta be what, what replaces it. And this is testing that right now. Again, back to those three things, the difference between churches that are being effective now and the churches that aren't being effective now. Um, the churches that were required, that were not adaptable, they were requiring people to physically be in the room in order for the church to work. Yeah, they are the ones that are having the problem right now. Our church, uh, I mean, we've made a lot of mistakes over the years. I certainly have. And we've made some mistakes even during this this pandemic quarantine. 
But today, four months, almost four months after the pandemic began, and we've only been able to meet in service together twice, during this season of being apart on Sunday mornings, our church has grown in every measurable way other than physically how many people are there on a Sunday morning. So the, the one main way we measure church growth and health has been removed. <laughs> yeah. And yet by every other measure, by, by salvations, by how people are reaching out and helping each other, by the impact we're able to have on the community, uh, by discipleship and spiritual growth of our congregation, every single sign I'm seeing of all of those things, they have gotten better as we have united and as we have decided we're going to figure out how to do this mission in a different way. It has grown us, it has brought us together, it has united our congregation. So um, this has forced us to replace how many people are sitting in the room in front of me with, uh, with goals that are more biblical for the church. Yeah. You look through the New Testament, there's not a single command that says, well, I can't do this unless I have more people in the room. <laughs> Right? All the commands in the New Testament church can be done by two or three people who love Jesus, who love each other, and who are on mission with Christ's commandments. If we do those things, whether we can even physically meet together or not, we can still, uh, we, we can still follow the commands that Jesus gave the church in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Carl, do you think that that the digital piece that a lot of churches have had to, if they weren't already there, they've been forced to lean into it in this season. season. Uh, what do you think the future of digital is for small, medium-sized churches? Yeah, this is, that's a great question too, because it's, it's, it corresponds to what we're hearing from big churches, but as with almost everything for a small church, it has its own tweak that makes it different. So yeah. it's a great question to ask. Uh, like I said, you know, for our church, we weren't even online because we hadn't been able to do it well, and then we had to do it. Um, and quite frankly, I am so tired of staring at that, you know, red light on my camera and acting like it's my best friend. I am so sick of staring at a camera <laughs> instead of yeah. actually physically being in the room with people. But I recognize the necessity of it. So yes, our future will be more digital. But here's the deal. Uh, because we have to do things more digitally, um, and because in-person will become more rare, when something becomes rare, it becomes more valuable. Yes, yeah. Rarity creates value. Scarcity mm -hmm. creates value. So yes, we need to do online better. People will check your church out online before they will come physically in person every single time. So we have to get better at that. But what that also means is that the in-person experience, when we're able to get back and do it again, will have an even greater value than it had before because it will be, we have learned the precious value of it during this. And even as we get better and do more things electronically, the physical in-person experience will have a greater value for people, especially in the areas of spiritual and emotional health that the church is supposed to be leaning into. Yeah. We, we need the in-person experience if we're capable of doing it. And for the rest of our lifetimes, there will be a lot of people, and not just the seniors who aren't physically able to make it, but there will be a lot of people who are at risk, uh, who are in certain at-risk categories that simply are not going to go into a large or even semi-large room with a lot of people ever again. 
there will be there will be a significant number of people that will never go into a church again simply because of fear or because of their level of risk. And we need to minister to them online and consider their online experience to be as important as the in-person experience for them because they can't be there in person. But we need then also to realize that the in-person experience, therefore, for those who can be there and for those who want to be there, that we make we need to make that as good as we possibly can. The scarcity of it, the rarity of it, will make make it even that much more valuable. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good. Carl, I know you're busy. I've just got one more question for you, and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. One of the things that you referenced earlier is just the division that not just it doesn't just seem to be in our country. It's it's in our churches, and. Uh, with so many questions about the future of the church, uh, Carl, what what is it about the church and looking forward right now that that encourages you moving forward? I I have never been more optimistic about the future of the church than I am right now. Mm. More optimistic now than I was four months ago, than I was a year ago, than I was a decade ago. Uh, because the gospel of Jesus is the only answer. And the bigger the problems get, the more, obvi- the, the more obvious that that answer becomes. Yeah. So while what we're seeing is, is not a tearing down of the church, but it is a tearing down of some of the structures that we've mistaken for the church. Yes. And those structures that we have put in substitute of the church do need to go. And if that's been forced onto us because of a pandemic or because of government regulations, whatever tears away at the unessentials, I thank God for it, whatever the source of that tearing away is. Yeah, wow. Uh, But they will never be able to tear away the mission of the church. They will never be able to reduce my passionate love of the Christ who redeemed me. Yeah. Um, when I, whenever I'm in trauma, whenever I'm, I'm in these situations, I remind myself, n- do not do not be like the Ephesian church in the in the at the beginning of Revelation that lost their first love. Dear Jesus, help me to fall in love with you over and over and over again. Yeah. That is what sustains me. That is what will sustain our churches. And that is the only message we have to a hurting world that is better than what they already have themselves. Yeah. If we don't offer them that, anything else we offer them, they can already find somewhere else. Yeah. But they cannot find a group of people who are passionately in love with Jesus and therefore love and care for each other, and therefore are passionate about ministering to the hurts of their community. When it flows out of that first love to Christ and Christ alone, only then does the church have something better than the world. So we have to cling closer to that than we ever have. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to end it right there. What Man, what a a, a reminder. That's good. That's right. Yeah. Well, Carl, thank a better you so message than that. I haven't found one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, Carl, thanks so much for taking time out to, uh, to be on here today. Um, 
Carl, people that want to connect with you after, after watching, listening, uh, what's a good way to uh, connect with you and, and follow you, see what you're thinking about, what you're writing and that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah. CarlVaders.com. Carl with a K. Vaders, V-A-T-E-R-S. I've got one of those names. Yeah. <laughs> the nice thing about having that name is I don't have to do CarlVaders79843 on my email. So uh, CarlVaders.com. CarlVaders at Twitter. CarlVaders on Facebook. CarlVaders at Instagram. CarlVaders on LinkedIn. CarlVaders. You name it. If you can Everyone. find CarlVaders spelled right, it'll be me. That's awesome. the best way to get a hold of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Carl... Thanks again uh, so much for, for, uh, for joining us today, man. God bless you. You got it. Thanks. Well, I love the way that Carl ended that interview and just reminded all of us that the only thing that's going to sustain churches is passionate love for Jesus. I needed to hear that. Maybe you needed to hear that. And so, Carl, thanks again for jumping on for the very first episode of the Churchology Podcast. Now, now let me tell you guys what you can do. I tell you what you can do to help the podcast grow, to, to get in front of more people. What you can do is wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Let everybody know um, how this is uh, being effective for you, what is speaking into your life. Also, you can subscribe to the videos on YouTube. So if you uh, don't normally listen to podcasts, you want to watch it, we've got a YouTube channel. Just look up Churchology Podcast on YouTube and you can watch the videos, the interviews right there. Click the subscribe button. You'll get them every single time. Hey guys, thanks for listening. We are back again next Tuesday. So make sure to be with us for the next episode of the Churchology Podcast. <laughs>